0: Hello and welcome to the GMS podcast, I'm John Chaplin and this week I'm in Leadenhall Street talking to Harry Theokari, OBE, honoured by the Queen this year for his services to the maritime industry. Harry also sits on the Institute of Maritime Law Advisory Board at Southampton University and is the Chair of Maritime London. He has been named by one shipping newspaper as the most influential shipping lawyer in the world and was named as Lawyer of the Year in 2021 by Best Lawyers but perhaps he's best known as the global head of transport at the law firm Norton Rose Fulbright, where for many years he did a large team focusing on ship finance for new buildings and second-hand vessels, advising hedge funds and private equity, and was involved in the restructuring of several listed shipping companies. Harry, a very warm welcome to the podcast and thanks for making time for us. My pleasure, John. So maybe we can start in your long and illustrious career with your time in New York. Um, a place I think you said was nice to visit, but not to live. Uh, what were you doing there? And do you think New York is still the preeminent market for ship mm. finance? Well, John, I didn't actually ever
1: live in New York. I couldn't quite bring myself to do that. I'm, I'm, although I was born in Cyprus, uh, I've always been a Londoner. And uh, the United Kingdom is very much my home. But look, I, I always believed that the U.S. capital markets and the U.S. bond markets would be fundamentally important for the financing of our business and you know, the firm the firm took a very firm view that we needed a New York presence, we were in expansion mode. Uh, I mean just to give you an idea uh, when, I, when I first took over the running of the shipping group at uh, Norton Rose Bottlin Roach as it was in uh, 1994 we had about 40 people in total doing uh, uh, what I would describe as transport-related work. So that was shipping, aviation, and rail. When I retired, we had over 470 people doing this out of something like 56 offices around the world. So the firm grew hugely. So New York was an obvious uh, choice for us. And uh, as, soon as, we, as soon as we were in New York, we looked very carefully to see where we thought the best candidates might be. And one thing we noticed is that you know, there's, there's a, a pretty big age differential between the very senior and best known partners in the New York market and the rest. And uh, we were really looking for something new and something fresh. So uh, we, 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 we took on uh, a chap called Brian Devine, who joined us, uh, and he's done a fantastic job since that time. Um, we, we grew the team into a, a two-partner team. Uh, We expanded very, very quickly and we were very, very successful. By 2017, we were voted Lloyd's List, America's Team of the Year, which in three years isn't bad going. So we had a very, very successful start. But then there were a few health issues uh, amongst uh, one of the partners that came in to join us. Uh, Unfortunately, in the end of 2008, 2019, he just couldn't carry on anymore. So we, we had to scale back a little bit, and we were just going in sort of overdrive mode to start growing the team once again, and then the pandemic hit. Sure. So um, it's a very exciting time. You know, I, I this is something that I wanted to do before I retired at the end of 2020. I wanted to get out to New York again. I was doing on average four or five trips a year and spending two weeks at a time out there, right. which is more than sufficient to see uh, clients and and you know friends and acquaintances so in my capacity as um, as a consultant to the firm, I do expect to be spending quite a lot of time next year particularly in New York uh, growing the team again and trying to get back to where we
0: were before moving on once more. and do you think that New York still holds the um, you know the top spot as it were for ship finance? Uh,
1: look I think the world has changed quite quite dramatically John and i know that you know this is something that you want to to uh, focus on in a little in a little while but look the, the issue is this if back in in 2007 which was the last year before the financial crisis hit the banks and financial institutions were lending somewhere in the region of of 140 billion dollars of new money every year to the shipping and offshore industries and most of those banks and finance institutions were right here in my backyard so you know it was it was uh, you know a, a relatively easy sort of focus for me. London was very much the center of the shipping finance world, yeah now you know shipping as well as I do um, how many u k banks are actually left now in the shipping finance arena i'm very sad to tell you exactly none. The Royal Bank of Scotland have sold off their shipping portfolio. Bank of Scotland have gone. Lloyd's Banking Group are no longer involved in shipping in a meaningful way. Barclays Bank are not there. People like HSBC are still around. Uh, but, you know, they and started standard Chartered, but they're lending primarily out of their agent offices. The German banks also disappeared. Uh, HSH Nordbank, which became Hamburg Commercial Bank, got rid of most of their portfolio. Commerzbank huge portfolio got out of shipping, uh, Nord LB, these were all banks and finance institutions that were you know, in Europe on our back door, that have all gone. You know, The good news is that the Dutch banks are still there and the French banks are still very active. But the truth is, do they need English law? Well, if they're lending to Dutch owners and to French owners, I'm not sure that's, that's the case anymore. Mm. But look, the good news is they still have a presence in the city of London. And they're still very active. And we're very grateful for that. Uh, the US banks are still there. Citibank is still very active, of course. And I'm sure there are many others that I haven't mentioned. But um, you know, the fact of the matter is banks and finance institutions are not what they used to be in the market. Right. So you know, the view that I always took is that we had to start looking to the capital markets. We were working hard to get uh, the UK capital markets kicked off. When I say UK, I obviously mean the city of London. Um, with the with the uh, London Stock Exchange and the AIM market but New York was very much in the lead at that time yes. um, you know New York was was, was moving towards its heyday uh, I mean remember by 2014 which I think was the biggest uh, year for the New York capital markets over 8.1 billion US dollars was made available to shipping right Um. I, I in 2012 I remember getting terribly excited about the bond market because they went from about uh, just over $5.8 billion in in 2009 to the shipping industry to over $20 billion by 2012. Mm. So there were some very exciting things going on in, in New York. But um, look, you know, the fact of the matter is there is not enough money available to the shipping industry right now from historical sources to finance where we need to be going,
0: John. Sure. Okay, well, let's uh, talk for a minute about Brexit. Uh, now that the the chief political cheerleader for Brexit has stepped aside. On June 24th, 2016, which was the day after the UK voted to leave the EU, you were reported to be extremely concerned about the impact Brexit would have on the city, uh, with companies publicly threatening to leave London for a new life in Europe. Were your fears fully realised or partially realised or not at all? Well, the first point
1: I'd make is that I
0: was very much a Remainer. (laughs) Yes. I thought it was a huge mistake to leave the
1: EU. But look, the fact of the matter is we live and are very fortunate to live in probably the most democratic country in the world. And we had a free and fair election, a vote, and people decided we were to leave. Mm. So my view was right. The decision has been made, so we now must make the very best of it. the one thing that concerned me at the time that I made those statements was just a lack of certainty. Mm. Nobody seemed to be taking the bull by the horns and taking Brexit forward. And uncertainty is the worst thing for business. No one is going to invest in a nation where they're not totally sure the direction that is being taken. Somebody needs to stand up and say, look, we've left Europe. You know, these are the cons, but these are the pros. And this is where we're going to focus. Yes. Now, uh, I, I don't think we've we've really taken the advantage that we should have done of the pros. Um, but anyway, look, we are we are where we are. Um, I think on the whole, Brexit so far has not been good for this nation. Our trade is down. I mean, if you decide to leave the block with which you trade the most, you have to expect there to be some downside. Yes. Um, you know, we were promised lots of new trade agreements. They're slowly coming to fruition, uh, but we're not where I hoped we would be, sure. if I'm honest. But um, the the effect on the City of London, which I was very concerned about, was not as great as I had thought, John. Um, at that time, Maritime London and, to a lesser extent, Maritime UK were working closely with the big accountancy firms, PwC and EY, to try and, and get to grips with where the danger points were for us uh, and how we might be impacted, particularly in financial services. Mm. And our big concern were, were the numbers that were being thrown out by the accountants. We were talking of somewhere between 75,000 and 80,000 jobs disappearing. Now, those were frightening numbers for me. I mean, you know, the city of London is not that big a place. Sure. And to lose 80,000 jobs, you know, which was, which was one of the worst scenarios being touted, would have been, I think, pretty disastrous. Um, a lot of that was down to the concerns about passporting rights for financial institutions. But anyway, look, the very good news is um, I recently had the opportunity to spend time with uh, the new Lord Mayor of the City of London, Vincent Keveney, who's a, a, an ex-colleague of mine, in fact, it's Norton Rose Fulbright. And you know, the city's numbers show that we've lost about 7,500 jobs. Now, that's not a good thing. But it's nowhere near as bad as I, I was concerned. Sure. Um, but look, I, I think I think the, the economic situation in the EU isn't helping them take away business from mm. the United Kingdom. Now, what I would like to see is, you know, a political partnership, if not an economic partnership, let's have a political partnership, and let's understand that we do need each other and work closely together i mean you know I, I don't want to get political on in on this discussion John but you know the northern ireland accord needs to be sorted out sensibly as soon as possible mm. you know something has to be done that is acceptable to the irish people and acceptable to the eu there must be a middle ground somewhere so you know let's work towards that and get the very best deal we possibly can and then just understand that we simply you know we're 23 miles away from you know our biggest and closest partners trading partners, you know, we're politically aligned in so many ways, Uh, you know, we can see the need to stick together with the actions of Russia in recent times. Mm. So, you know, I just hope people will be sensible. And I I hope that the new government, uh, the new leadership in the government Will take us in the right direction
0: we all do let's have a word about um decarbonization which is on everybody's lips these days it's widely predicted that decarbonization will push more ships to recycling that would otherwise have been the case and we do hear about esg pressure coming from banks and other financiers which is causing ship owners to look again at how their ships are recycled i just wonder if if that's also your experience in terms of the feedback you get from the banks
1: John, if I could take a step back and just look for a second at how we're going to actually finance this transition. And there's, um, there seems to be a view that uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the ships that are currently working very effectively are going to have to be phased out in short order. Now, two things have changed uh, in recent times. One is the war in the Ukraine and the realization that you know, we're actually stuck for longer than we perhaps thought with with carbon assets we're going to have to use you know diesel oil and coal for much longer than we had all hoped uh, i think it's totally wrong but i can't see any way around it so you know what i do see is a lot of fantastic decarbonization technologies coming to the fore mm. so I, I do believe that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the ships that are currently working that were expected to have a 25 year life may well get to that. So I, I'm not sure we'll see as much scrapping as perhaps people fear, simply because right now we don't have a true idea as to the drive trains we're going to be using or the fuels that we're going to be using. Now, if you'll excuse me for just going on to the, my, my, next, my next point which is this how are we going to finance this transition Um, you and I were having a very interesting conversation earlier on uh, about the research that's been done by um, the University Maritime Advisory Service now what they're basically saying is that if we just decarbonize to IMO standards which is just 50% of what they were in 2008 by 2050 that'll cost 1.1 trillion US dollars extraordinary if we go if we go to a net zero position by 2050 which i think is it's much more likely and the imo i think will be forced to take this action because you know the united kingdom has made this decision and the eu will certainly push down this route so if we're going to get to net zero by 2050 which is what we should all be aiming for it's going to cost around 1.9 trillion dollars now where are we going to find this kind of money um you know, I'm just not sure that without some kind of government support, you're going to be able to find the money. We were t- we were speaking earlier about the the reduction in the amount of money available to the shipping and offshore industry. So, banks 2007 140 billion per annum going into the industry today. You know, we're looking at a, a sort of 80 to 90 billion shortfall on that. Mm. So that's a huge amount of money not going in. Um, Bond markets, 20 billion in 2012, 1 billion 2016, and we're hovering somewhere between there and 6 billion. Now, that's fallen as well. Um, You've seen yourself, the the capital markets just haven't been supporting shipping in the way they were before. We had a very successful float here that my firm did for Taylor Maritime last year. Um, You know, that shows what can be done. But again, we're not looking at huge numbers. No. Uh, I mean, in the US, I think there's only been one listing in recent times, and that was Zim. Yeah. So the capital markets aren't there. Um, the Chinese are there. They've got plenty of money. Um, they've made promises to the Greek shipping community, the Italian shipping community, the Turkish shipping community. Without wishing to be political in any way, John, the question I would ask you and your listeners is, do we want to be reliant on Chinese money? to finance the global shipping industry Mm. which services 90% of world trade we've seen what can happen with Russia Uh, what playing devil's advocate if there was an issue with Taiwan what would happen there Sure. So I'm just throwing that out there for people to consider.
0: Well, sure. I mean, there was a time a few years ago when uh, shipping required capital and formed a relationship with private equity. And, and you were very much involved putting owners and money together in, in that time. And I'm going back about eight years now, but in 2014, you talked about how much private equity was then ingrained into shipping. I mean, looking back now, would you say P.E. Was a, was a good thing for shipping? Or do you feel that exit periods, the short-term exit periods, didn't really fit with the shipping cycle or how mm. shipping makes returns? Well,
1: private equity has been an interesting experience. When, when bank lending started to uh, reduce quite dramatically, uh, I think the, the P.E. houses, particularly from the U.S., Saw an opportunity here. I think the view was, look, there's a the world recession is going to come. Shipping will be in a dire situation. We can pick up assets cheaply and we'll sell them relatively quickly and make some money. Uh, the early vulture funds that came into the market in the in between, say, 2008 and 2012, were very unsuccessful, um, and that was primarily because shipping had had a heyday from about 2002 to the banking crisis that we had in 2008, you'll remember that uh, cape Size vessels were chartering out at over $200,000 a day. Uh, you know, you're lucky if you get $25,000 a day today. So it just shows you the kind of money that was being built up. However, you know, we have seen uh, a lot of private equity get involved uh, in the shipping industry. Um, I don't know... I I don't know how committed they will be for long-term financing, you know, the 10 to 12 years that the banks will look at. Um, There are some, I think, some excellent private equity people and what differentiates them from their competitors is the fact that they have people that, that work for the fund that truly understand shipping, who've made an effort to understand shipping and who are focused on shipping. There are others who have these exceptionally brilliant young men who think they know it all now i've been i've been involved in the shipping industry for 35 years john and i'm not being humble or coy when i tell you that i still feel i'm scratching the surface sometimes sure. so you know i think a lot of money has been lost by a lot of private equity mm. i think some very valuable lessons have been learned i'd very much like to think that they will stay in but uh, john we were talking yeah. earlier about this transition that we need to make about You know, what fuels are we going to be using? What drivetrains are we going to be using? What are the ships of the future going to look like? How long are they going to last? Now, I don't think equity investors will be prepared to take those kind of risks in the early stages of the development of the technology, the development of the fuels, the development of the new ships. So my, my, my personal view is I don't think we'll see much of private equity uh uh, taking big positions in new in new technology in disruptive technologies i don't just simply don't see that um that's why i you know the 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 case that i'm trying to make is that governments need to step up right banks will be there to lend if they know that they've got government support and we've got that through the export credit agencies they can lend up to 80 percent of the project cost Mm of 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 what's out there or oh, they can let me put it another way a bank can lend up to 80 percent of the project costs and they will be guaranteed by government right now if you're a bank that makes total sense because you're not going to lend a hundred percent in any event so if you guarantee 80 percent of the project cost of a new vessel maybe it's new maybe new technology maybe it's new fuels uh you can you can get almost a 100 percent, if not a 100 percent, guarantee of that 80 percent. right So I can see that working very, very well. I can see a a place for the bond markets, the capital markets, private equity. I think they'll all be there, but I think governments are gonna have to lead on this Mm. because i just put myself in the position of a banker, uh, a, a private equity executive, you know, a bond issuer. Why should I take the risk mm. of, say, going for methanol or going for hydrogen or going for ammonia? This could be a beta Max VHS moment. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember. You probably not the, <laughs> <I am too. laughs> the old, the old, uh, the old recorders, the old um, VCRs, the VCRs. Yes, uh, you know, and you know, I remember we all had to make a choice between beta Max and VHS. Now, you know, if you went for beta max, bad luck. Yeah. So, you know, I I I just think that um, you know, investors financiers, bankers, will be very, very conservative in their approach over the next few years.
0: So I do believe we need government to step to the plate. Are you having those kind of conversations um, you know, with government departments here in the UK? Look, we are, the, the, the government, um, you know, for all his faults, Boris has been a great supporter of
1: shipping. He did you know, really want this nation to become a great shipping nation again. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, you know, what does that mean? Are we really going to compete with the Koreans, the Chinese, and the Japanese for big ships? I don't believe so. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could, but I just don't see it. I, you know, I think where this country could really take advantage is you know, smaller, high-tech vessels. We saw that with the Sir Richard Attenborough. Mm. You know, we see that with some of the fantastic naval ships that can be built in this nation. When it comes to top-quality technology, it's very hard to beat Northern Europe, and particularly the United Kingdom. So I see huge potential there, and this is the right time to be doing it. You know, we are in a a world where new and disruptive technologies are, are coming to the fore. You know, we've got you know autonomous shipping, we've got artificial intelligence, we've got blockchain. You know, all these new things that aren't just going to change the way that we work and the way we run our businesses. They're fundamentally going to change the way we live. And you know, if a vessel can sail the high seas. Without a single seafarer on board, or perhaps just a single seafarer, or two or two seafarers, that's quite amazing by our standards today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there will be a, a humongous amount of change, and we just all need to start getting our head around this. And we need we need some work from the government. Now, um, uh, there is there is a, uh, some very good work being done by the departments um, for international trade, by the Department for Transport. Uh, and uh, there's a, a you know a, a shipbuilding Czar who's doing his very best to get get the UK shipping industry kick started again. Um, they've done a very good job. They've put they've, so there'll be billions of new vessels, billion dollars worth of new vessels being built in this nation. The problem I have with it is that it's mainly naval. And that's fine. We do need, you know, top quality naval ships. But what I'm far more interested in, and I think what our community and your listeners will be far more interested in, is what are we going to do with commercial shipping? And I don't think that so far what has been done is is going to be sufficient to help kickstart our ability to compete effectively for new building commercial contracts, uh, refurbishing of, of cruise vessels. Um, uh, dry dockings mm. uh, you know we don't need just to build new vessels there are lots of things we can do retrofitting lots of new technologies going in so but you know I think people people will only do that if they can get some kind of export credit support sure. and you know the Germans are doing it the French are doing it the Swedes the Norwegians the Danes the Italians uh, KXM in Korea uh, Japanese XM in Japan you know we've got a great department here in you know U- United Kingdom Export Finance. Fantastic body has done wonderful job on the aviation side. Were brilliant in shipping when I first started. There's no reason why they can't come back, and I. That's one thing I'm working very hard and I'm pushing for. Um, you know the um, uh, you know the, 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 the leadership uh, of, of the 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 team that is trying to push. Um, British uh, shipping forward are probably sick and tired of my moaning, um, I, you know as I'm sure are the uh, the various civil servants. But they all understand the issue, yes. And I think we're getting somewhere. Sure.
0: You mentioned earlier uh, all it's all about the timing, and you have previously said that companies should start their growth cycle at the bottom of the cycle and then go from there. Where would you say shipping? Is today in terms of its cycle I must tell you John
1: if I if I knew I wouldn't <laughs> mind having a bit of a punt myself uh, but look we live in a very complex world the old sort of uh, economics which were really simple demand and supply uh, that were dominated by you know, international trade the health of people's economies has been dramatically affected by external factors. I mean, the pandemic has thrown us right out. Who would have could have foreseen the pandemic? The war in the Ukraine. Um, you know, that's that's affected international trade immensely. And uh, you know, the, the value of shipping. Uh, you know, suddenly containers that have been the the poor man of the shipping industry went shooting through through the roof. I'm not sure anyone really foresaw that i'm sure the big liners would say yes we did you know we knew it would come at some point and you know and and good luck to them because you know everyone else has had you know their good periods but you know we're seeing the box ships doing tremendously well now i'm told that you know it's not sustainable and it will come down but you know there are so many things that we know we need we need to work with the ports port congestion can affect the, the 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 value and cost of freight quite dramatically um you know, how do, we, how do we get around that? We need to work much more closely with the ports. I mean, this is one thing that, that, you know, we at Maritime London try to help with through Maritime UK, which brings together all of the UK's maritime industries. And the ports are a fundamentally important part of what we're trying to do. Mm. The good news here is, John, that we have some really well-run and well-financed ports. And I, I was always shocked that, you know, every year that I was chairman of, of Maritime UK, the ports would come up with over $600 million of their own money to improve their service, to improve their infrastructure. So, you know, I think we're very fortunate to have you know, a, great, a great ports team here. And uh, I think
0: it bodes very well for the future. Sure. Just lastly, on the on the cycle, obviously it's, it's hard to, uh, to to call it at the moment. But I think the point you were making was that the time to invest is when, you know, shipping is at a low point. Whereas there don't seem to be any shipping sectors mm. that are at the low point, possible exception of the VLCC market. And then, of course, you've got this, uh, in, you know, estate agents talk about location, location, location. And one Greek ship owner said famously during Posidonia that it's actually disruption, disruption, disruption. So do you think that that, I mean, it's slightly tongue in cheek, but is it a, is it a fair comment in light of the fact that the supply chain crisis has been, lifted rates in certain sectors, and also, obviously, the war in Ukraine is having an impact. I suppose the two questions are wrapped up there. The first one is, is this a good time for people to put money in shipping, or should they wait? And secondly, to what extent are the good times in shipping now a result of, of disruption?
1: Well, I think, if I may start with the with the, with the, uh, the the latter question, I think the good times in shipping now are as a result of disruption. I had some very interesting conversations during Posidonia, and... The Greek shipping community are tremendously astute. You know they always fare tremendously well through through the good, the bad, and the ugly markets. Um, you know it's just a historical trait. You know I, I I wish I had that. You know I'm of Greek origin, but I'm afraid I, I don't have that kind of commercial nous. Um, so you know I think a lot of what's happening um, is down to disruption. I mean if you if you look back to the great tanker owners of the 1950s and 60s. Um, you know, Aristotle Onassis, for example, um, who would have foreseen the closing of the Suez Canal? Mm. If the Suez Canal hadn't closed, you know, Aristotle Onassis could have been one of the world's biggest bankrupts. And then you look at all the golden Greeks of that, that, that era, you know, a lot of that was through disruption. We're seeing a big change in, in, in shipping, John, because, you know, you know, banks and financial institutions uh, are now much more interested um, in, you know, the environment, social and governance. ESG is very much something that's important to them. So, you know, the old days of the swashbuckling ship owner, uh, I don't think are there in the same way. They were. I think there are always opportunities for clever people with good ideas. But, you know, I see shipping becoming much more corporate. Mm. Uh, I, I don't, I think the day of the, as I say, the, the you know, the, the, the single ship owner or the, the company that's driven by you know, a single person is viable anymore, uh, particularly if they need uh, some kind of finance, whether it's capital markets, whether it's bond markets, uh, you know, whether it's banks, financial institutions. Um, they need, they need uh, to show that they're running their companies properly and in accordance with certain minimum standards uh, that are, are fundamentally important to banks today. I mean you look at the banks that you know who have signed up to the Poseidon principles mm. uh, they didn't need to do that but they have decided that they want to see decarbonizing of the shipping fleets and their portfolios in particular um, you know I'm not a I'm not the biggest fan of the Poseidon principles I think there are other ways that it could be done but you know it's it's a great way to focus people's minds and I think you know if you look at all the all the big uh, shipping entities around the world uh, you know, they're much more corporatized than they were. And even if they're not, they have to think like corporates and act like corporates. And I think they have to be, you know, a lot more transparent than perhaps some of them would like to be. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are many Greek ship owners who, who really don't like the way things are going. But I'm afraid that's going to be the way of the world going
0: forward. Lastly, on uh, the topic of Maritime London, you are currently the chairman. Um, maritime London is for anyone who doesn't know, is an industry-led body promoting maritime professional services all across the UK, um, and I'm glad to say GMS is a member of that organisation. Um, how did you come to get involved with uh, Maritime London, and um, why does London need a sort of umbrella organisation to promote it?
1: Well, my, um, my connection to Maritime London goes back to the previous CEO, Doug Barrow. Right. Uh, Doug and I became quite, quite close personal friends. And he was very keen to have uh, a lawyer on the board i 'm not sure why, but um, uh, he he very kindly invited me to join the board and you know look, I quickly realized that you know there are lots and lots of financial centers around the world who certainly since you know in, since two thousand five onwards when I started taking an interest in maritime London, are very keen to take away um, the united kingdom's mantle as one of the if not the major uh, center for uh, business for maritime business professionals you know we have the best shipping law firms in the world you know something i'm very proud of and you no know, it's not a statement that i just make blithely if you look at all the uh, all the directories that rank shipping firms around the world it's 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 the united kingdom and the city of london that come out top every time we have some of the best maritime accountants here uh they do a phenomenal job we have lloyds of london here um you know they underwrite most of 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 the of the world's maritime insurance um you know we do have the london stock exchange here as well so we have the availability of capital markets which is extremely important um you know we have one thing we mustn't overlook is we have some of the best um uh, uh universities in the world that teach maritime law, uh, maritime technical expertise, the University of Strathclyde, Newcastle, uh, Plymouth, Portsmouth, Liverpool, I mean, I could go on. You know, we are tremendously strong. And I just think we felt we needed to sort of bring you know everybody much closer together to ensure that we do what these other centers are doing, uh, which is supporting each other with a view to knocking us off our perch, to be blunt about it. (laughs) And look, look, the fact of the matter is that, you know, we're very fortunate in that London has a great trading history. I think the City of London probably still remains, you know, the centre of the maritime business professional world. Uh, A lot of people come here because they know they're going to get the best professional services that are available on a global basis yes. the United Kingdom is a wonderful place to live it's a great place to bring up your children it's a truly democratic nation where you feel safe on the streets yes. um, you know, if you've got lots of money that's very important to you and if you can add to that the fact that you can get a good lawyer a good accountant uh, to, to go with that you've got great brokers um, you know, we've got the best, best and biggest shipping brokers in the world here uh, you've got Lloyds of London on your doorstep that's not bad so we had a lot of advantages John uh, and we just need to make sure we hold on to those because some very very fine uh, you know maritime centers have realized that you know if you can if you can win that crown if you can you know get the best maritime business professionals to come and be in your jurisdiction and my firm has had lots of invitations from some very interesting places uh you will attract ship owners ship owners will go to where the business is but as i say you know for us it's a combination of not just having you know great maritime professionals here in in the united kingdom in the city in particular but you know we mustn't lose sight of the fact that this is a democratic nation where you know you've got lots of money you can buy a beautiful home and live here safely with your family uh with great education and i think that just makes it really worthwhile and the reason i I feel so passionately about it is that's exactly where i i'm from you know i you know my little island of cyprus was invaded in 1974 my father lost everything and he chose the united kingdom for these reasons so you know you know these aren't things that i i've just sort of come to 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 understand myself you know my father said we are going to england we're going to london because and these are the reasons he gave me
0: Well, you're doing a fantastic job, all of you and the team. Long may it continue. And thanks very much for talking to us today, Harry. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. And thank you for downloading and listening to this GMS podcast. We'll be back next week with a market update.